It's been a while I know I shouldn't have kept you waiting But I'm here now Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, owner-founder of Be There in Five, the company, host of this podcast, obviously, and uh, author of Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, a nursery rhyme for the digital age, a, a adult parody book in the style of a children's book where the illustrations explain social media to a child in an irreverent but lighthearted manner through the imagined social media accounts of nursery rhyme characters. Little Bo Peep has a GoFundMe for her lost sheep, Humpty Dumpty as Epic Egg Falls Off Wall Vlogs. Uh, Mary Had a Little Scam has, you know, she may or may not be involved in an MLM. Not to say all of them are scams, but, you know, if you need to hire three people who hire three people who hire three people, you know, maybe revisit geometry and think about the shape in which you're operating in. Anyway, guys, so happy to be here. I, I thought, like... Well, a couple things. One, Britney Spears' Break the Ice. A song I forget about and I never actively play, but I really like. And I thought about it because whenever I'm on here introducing myself awkwardly and I say the same stuff and you're like, wig at it. I'm like, okay, should I have one of those quippy intro songs that, I don't know, kind of set up like who you are and what you talk about every single time in the same way? Like, I kind of think I need one because the theme song really like sets up you know, sets the tone. And I've done some deep dives into royalty-free music. And guys, it, 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 it is a, a melody of funhouse insanity. They, they, they are god-awful jingles that I do not want jingle jangle into my brand. And the thing with the theme song is you need it to be like, not only set the tone for the episode, but it'd be so over-associated with your brand that like you're annoyed hearing it over and over when you're binge listening to episodes, kind of like on Netflix. Like the freaking Parks and Rec music drives me insane. But then it also gets me like jacked up for, you know, America's true feminist icon, Leslie Knope, and makes me really jealous about her friendship with Ann Perkins because it's almost Valentine's Day, which I love. And I'm so passive, I need an aggressive friend like Leslie. So friendly reminder to thank all your girlfriends out there on February 13th. But more importantly, to not worry about Valentine's Day. If you don't have a Valentine, you're not alone. You're saving a lot of money and cheesiness and all of the cocktail dresses all the bloggers will be wearing are indeed stage photos. Nobody wears a red sequin floor-length dress to go to the Olive Garden. And I'm looking at you people that live outside in the suburbs of Sacramento. I know you're not wearing that dress on Valentine's Day and you just want the commission. Greg and I have a tradition where we go get Mexican food because like I always say, I just think it's very... It's impossible to have a bad time in, in, when you're in front of a bottomless basket of chips and salsa. And if you're in the mid-Atlantic and, and or south and to have the luxury of having runny white Lando Lakes white American infused with pickled jalapenos and green chilies types of queso, that even just like blow, like it, it just blows the entire experience out of the water. But I just think like, there's so much pressure on these holidays and I don't really care. And at the end of the day, I just want quality time. And if spending a lot of money on a meal adds pressure to it for it to be good, adds pressure for me to like want my table to be right. I hate when I go to pri- like fixed price menus 
and they're not using their regular menu because it's a holiday and they have like high traffic, but I don't want the fixed price menu. It's confusing. It's P-R-I-X-E-F-I-X-E, prefix. Is that right, French? Um, anyway, I can't recommend it enough. It's always completely empty on val- Valentine's Day, which is shocking. And um, I, don't, I don't know. I just think that we put a lot of pressure on like hoping for traditional acts of romance, especially because people on social media, instead of thanking their spouse directly, decide to post what their spouse gave them, even though their spouse doesn't like really use Instagram. So it's the point. Um, you see these like bouquets and bears and like, I don't know, like lubes, someone gets them. And I'm like, okay, if it's an outfit, a pair of shoes, whatever, like they picked it out themselves. I'm sorry. They definitely did. They put it on hold and said, go buy this or else. And when you're actually behind the scenes, that's incredibly unromantic. So just remember, like, let's just don't put pressure on it. It's just, it's a great excuse for quality time. And whether you play a game or have an experience or go to dinner or whatever it is, just make sure you're focused on getting to celebrate the relationship you're in and not trying to poke holes in the relationship you think you should have based on what you see from other people's. I've learned in my day that most people that get really nice gifts ask very deliberately for them. And if that's what you want, absolutely do that. If your love language is gifts, absolutely make sure your partner knows what your needs are. But conversely, remember that not every, not the, everybody doesn't give love by way of gifts. Like It, it kind of sucks because If your love language is gifting, you look so much better than the rest of us friendship-wise, relationship-wise, or otherwise, because like mine is words of affirmation. Like I will give you the most killer detailed compliment, but if you're not into that, you're just going to be like, oh, well, Victoria gave me a diptyque candle. Your card with a bunch of words and chicken scratch is so lazy. And I'm like, no, actually I spent hours thinking about what to say to you, but like some people, cards mean, don't mean anything. It's very hard to make everybody happy, unless you're gifting them Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, uh, Be There on Five Doormat, any of my artwork, or, you know, maybe a Patreon subscription. That is the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) Hear me record after midnight when I've usually had a lot of wine and forgot to record a bonus episode. It's truly thrilling content. (laughs) Anyway, what I was talking about is for the intros, I love the intro and outro songs, but I also think I need something more signature or like some sort of icebreaker type activity at the beginning to get people interested in me because with the intro songs comes the conundrum of oftentimes I want to play a song but it doesn't mean I like the song it just means that I have something to say about it but if you're a first-time podcast listener since I play about 30 seconds if you if your friend's like oh my god you have to listen to this podcast it's amazing upon the first episode you play you hear Aaron's party parentheses come get it you're kind of like I'm not coming to get this. Why is this her theme song? Like, it's not my theme song. I just wanted to tell you about the time my dad took me to Arby's after nobody would dance with me. Or like what I was thinking about this week. For, for example, that there was this, this dark time we all went through in the 90s <laughs> where swing music infiltrated pop culture. Now, I don't know if any of you... Uh, are, are big swing dancers. You like to go to those Groupon couple classes. If you've never heard of this dance called the, uh, what's it called? It's it's actually called shagging. And my siblings and I spent like an entire Christmas break one time watching these videos on YouTube. Heads up is difficult when your parents are in the room to search shagging videos. But 
once you find the right thing, it's this bizarre dance where people like move their feet in the tiniest gestures. Like, I don't know if I, it's like if river dance were a lot less interesting. It, like if Michael Flatley was in the back of an auditorium doing the half-assed blocking steps to help somebody on the stage remember their step dancing, that's what shag dancing is like. You don't move your torso at all, and you, but you do it with a partner, and it's like it's just like you just like scuttle. Like like I can't describe it better than scuttling. It's a very southern dance, and I'm sure like a lot of you either have taken lessons or go to shag dance parties or something, and I'm offending you, and I'm so sorry. It was just so not on my radar, and it's kind of like that time I got really into dressage. I was like, whoa, 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 There's a sport called horse dancing. I, I, I couldn't get enough. That said, shag dancing, it's so hard, and it's so cool to watch, and I'm not knocking the um, integrity of the dance. I'm just saying, you know, if unfamiliar. It's interesting. To backtrack, what's Michael Flatley up to? What happened to Lord of the Dance? River Dance was a true great time in our nation, and I am I am a I'm a proud fan, an observer, and fast I am fascinated with Irish step dancing, with River Dance, with Lord of the Dance. I think anything you do in unison outside of synchronized swimming, which I do not find interesting, it's a little old timey, very Annie, very old swim cap with a boy short one piece with a one halter string around your sweetheart neck. But anything else that's synchronized, I find to be incredibly impressive. But that was an interesting era of our time as well, because that's kind of when like stomp and bring in da noise, bring in da funk. When we were graced with the presence of people using their bodies and everyday objects as percussion instruments necessary i'm not sure stomp is basically the parkour of the theater it was very doug funny the cartoon doug strumming on a trash can banging on a street light doug featuring the beats it was like that song was like one little voice is calling me calling me i don't really know the context now that i think about it but anyway all that to say what was i talking oh okay yeah so, like, say I start the episode with the cherry pop and daddies. If I, I cannot stand Zoot Suit Riot. But if I wanted to make a point about it, I don't know if my ideal listener would make it through the first 20 seconds. Because they'd be like, oh my God, is this a swing music podcast? Is she about to play Lubega? Is she about to, I don't know, worse, play Jump Dive and Whale? Is, is this girl a, a big Brian Setzer Orchestra fan? Worse, is she a is she a squirrel nut zippers fan? I, I don't I don't I, that's that is I, I don't want that tied to my brand. But seeing as I just talked about river dance, stomp, and <laughs> the cherry pop and daddies within roughly six minutes, I guess I shouldn't assume anybody's here anyway. <laughs> so what was I mean? I wow this 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 was a um, well you know how people say like well that's a roundabout way of saying. I am so past roundabout. I, roundabouts are like y- you yield and, you know, there's a few different directions other people might be coming from. I am a straight up cloverleaf interchange. But yes, <laughs> Bernie Spears Break the Ice. The other thing about that song is, well, she says, let me break the ice. And I don't know what she says afterwards, but I swear to God, it sounds like, let me break the ice. Allow me to get you bread. I can't hear anything else. I've looked at the lyrics a million times. 
And it's like, I don't know. I think, too, this week I was thinking about it because I'm, like, kind of doing a low-carb, high-fat kind of keto thing. Just, I don't know. I have sugar problems. You hear how fast I talk on this podcast. I, I, I love chocolate milk, and I love sour bright crawlers, and I have a problem snacking on things while I'm home all day. So I'm just trying to, like, be a little bit more disciplined. But, like, truly, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I miss bread. I need bread. I want, that's all I'm thinking about is all I'm dreaming about. I feel like Jean Valjean. I, I don't, I feel like Aladdin one jump ahead of the bread line. Like I, uh, if allow me to get you bread is like, po- it's, it's true poetry to me right now. And I'm looking forward to the next time I can eat bread and not, you know, hide in my room or my office. Here's the thing about accountability. My husband and I are doing this together just to like be healthier. We're like in our thirties. I don't know. I want to be heart healthy. I, I want to have good habits. So. But when you do this with somebody else, the problem is, is they hold you accountable to doing it. And I'm not about that life. Like, I, I want to make ambitious, lofty plans for myself that I ultimately break. But then in the name of self-care, pat myself on the back and said, you did the best you can. Because I'm not the type of person that's going to be like super hard on, on myself about something like that. I'm going to be proud of myself for trying. Whereas, you know, if my husband comes in my office and I am mauling a baguette, not only is it sad, it also seems deceitful to this thing we're like allegedly in on together. So it's this horrible thing where all of a sudden I'm held accountable and I'm actually doing it. And I guess that's why accountability by Teddy is so successful because you really do feel awkward and guilty and bad if you're not doing something somebody else thinks you're doing because then you feel like you're lying. Even though like a complex carb now and again just is the most simple of solutions. But what are you going to do? Allow me to get you bread. Bernie Spears, break the ice. Icebreakers. Aha. Um, I, no, I was thinking about how I'm like, okay, well, what do people usually do to get to know people and to get them to loosen up? Because I want people to come on this podcast to be like, you know, loose and ready to listen to me talk about Lord knows what and not overthink, you know, all of the topics or overthink the individual things I choose to talk about at that time as being hyper-focused on what this podcast is about as a whole, because I do jump around a lot. And I was thinking about how people say fun facts, like anytime you're in a corporate situation or you're at some sort of like camp or doing some volunteer work, like for some reason, there's just like a lot of times in life you're in a situation where they want to do icebreaker games. And like the, the, the irony of an icebreaker is it is my own personal fiery hell. Like, I, it's so, it's, for people that are the least bit socially anxious or shy, I I am a recovering shy person. It's so incredibly hard to present an interesting version of yourself because what that game does is instead of like loosening up everybody for like the betterment of the group's bond, it actually forces people to judge you solely on the few words that come out of your mouth when it's your turn in the group and you haven't really spoken in a long time and half the time your voice cracks, you feel the need to clear your throat. Sometimes I slur when I say Kennedy because um, I, it's just kind of like the two ends, Kennedy, like I, I, get, I get nervous. And then when I say my own name awkwardly, and then I also sometimes mess up that I'm from Virginia because you like Virginia it's kind of a weird thing to say. So when I'm like, I'm Kate Kennedy from Virginia. And like, I just, I don't know, I get so nervous. But anyway, the problem is like, well, especially with the first letter of my name and last name is a K. 
half the time it's like, give an adjective that's the same letter as your name. And everyone's like, I'm super Steve. I'm cool Carrie. And then I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm kinky Kate. Like, what am I supposed to do? What is another K name? Like, uh, uh, crazy with a K? Like, sometimes I'd be like, I'm knowledgeable Kate. And people would look so disappointed. And I'm like, it's a silent K. Suck it. Like, I'm sorry. This is really difficult. Kooky Kate? I, I, I kangaroo Kate? I mean, I, okay, like, literally. <laughs> literally? I am 31 years old. It is Tuesday, February 5th, 2019. Until this day, did I realize that the word kind starts with a K and my whole life I could have been saying that. And now this whole segment is a moo point, to quote Joey Tribbiani. So I guess I should stop complaining. But I guess on the note of kangaroo Kate, they also want the other pointless game that makes me know nothing about a person is what animal, if you could be any animal, what would you be? I don't know. I don't care. Um, And also an animal that starts with the first letter as your first name. Like I've played these in like full on corporate settings with like, like executives. And these guys are like, uh, I am a marsupial Michael. And, uh, you know, uh, and I just realized I'm not playing the game right because I was trying to do an impression of Michael. Michael shouldn't have, that's actually an adjective. Michael should really be like a mouse Michael. I'm, uh, well, his adjective game's easy. It's like magnificent Michael, magic Michael, you know, (laughs) if they really want to make the crowd giggle. And um, I just don't think I get to know anybody doing that. I think too, like, I don't know, like I hate telephone. I hate things that require me to whisper in people's ears that I don't know well and or touch them. In this era of, of, natural deodorants i think it's safe to say that we can't be doing the human not anymore it's it's too touch and go with personal hygiene it's far too clammy hands wise i i i i hope that in this me too era we are past the human not i hope in this era of you know people being generally disappointing we're we're through with the trust fall i can't believe honestly we were ever playing the trust fall because like I, I, I don't know. It's like th- there's a lot that can go wrong there. And I, for one, do not have a lot of upper body strength. If my legs are locked, if I'm not really paying enough attention, if my core is not engaged, I will also fall. And uh, what is that saying in terms of a team building message? It doesn't mean I'm any less trustworthy. It just means, you know, I, I, I haven't been focusing on my core as much lately, which I don't know. It wasn't really a thing in elementary school, which I guess I really haven't done the trust fall since probably elementary or middle school. But I'm one of those people that could never pass the presidential fitness exam. And I don't know if that's a Virginia thing. Well, I always passed it. I always got like the satisfactory rate, right? but I, I never got like the awards where you'd go up at the assembly at the end of the year. Generally speaking, I'm not a gal that got a lot of awards. I, I am fiercely mediocre at, at many things, but I'm happy there because I feel like in my head, I know I'm good at stuff and I don't really need the external recognition. <laughs> See, also delusional. Um, but there was like, there's a minimum number of pull-ups you have to do and I can't do a pull-up. So I had to do this thing called the flexed arm hang, but I would completely cheat and like put my toe up against like the, uh, you know, cement block white walls of the multi-purpose room and like joist, hoist myself up a little bit so I could stick my chin on. And if you rest your chin, it's technically cheating, but 
Honestly, the gym teacher has given up on the flex arm hang kids so long ago. They're not exactly paying close attention to your uh, intrepid athleticism. So, you know, kids, if you're out there, the presidential fitness exam is virtually meaningless, especially that the shuttle run. You like we had to like run back and forth literally five to ten feet. You, You couldn't even pick up speed if you tried. And I understand that's like the nature of sprinting. But let's revisit that in high school when we got like 100 meters when we have a track. In elementary school, we were like sprinting 10 feet at a time and, and trying to pick up and drop a shuttlecock, a badminton thing. And it's like, OK, are you, first of all, can we pick up and drop something else? Are you really going to put something called a shuttlecock in front of a bunch of eight year olds and expect them not to giggle? And B, why do I have to pick up and drop something? It slows me down incredibly. Like, can't I just tag the floor? The whole thing was so frustrating. And then there was this, also this thing where we had to scoot on something with wheels that I never really understood that I need to do some research on because now I'm wondering if I remember that incorrectly. But anyway, there was no worse day than the day when you had to run the mile. I mean, I would dread this for weeks, for months, for years. I would, I would carbo load. I would like have two sandwiches before I would try so hard not to walk. I remember just trying to come in under like 11 minutes. I've always hated exercising. I've always hated, I think too, like I'm just that token Irish pale person with iridescent skin who, you know, you could probably give me an IV just looking at me because my veins are so transparent. And when I get really hot and I I start to sweat, my face is so irrevocably red. You know what, you know what I'm talking about? Like the kid in the hallways of elementary school, who's like bang hairs are starting to slightly curl and are still wet. And their face is like bright, bright red. And they just look totally winded and exhausted it's like so embarrassing and I just I I don't know it's like I always really tried I've always since I was little cared about like trying to look pretty and my outfit and I've like you know would brush my hair for like hours at a time I was just like really you know always trying to keep it cute and the mile would always ruin that for me and I don't know it's just something to think about if you have a pale child it's even if you're not out of shape and you still get like frighteningly red it's it can be a little bit embarrassing and I don't know. I just don't really like I get that you want to force kids to exercise, but it's something about those gym competitions. It just doesn't do a lot for the old self-esteem if you're athletic or, you know, if you're kind of at an awkward phase. And wait, have I ever talked about orienteering? Did you guys have to do orienteering in school? Hold on. I, I rarely look up things while I'm talking, but I this was so strange to me. It's actually an Olympic sport where you find your way to various checkpoints across rough country with the aid of a map and a compass. The winner has the lowest elapsed time. It's the most confusing game I've ever played, and it's truly horrible. And if you get yourself on a good team of non-goody two-shoes, you can basically just go sit in the woods. But like, I don't know, I'm still not a person that totally understands how compasses work. (laughs) And when you're playing in like the parking lot of your middle school, I don't, I just never understood the point. I always, always, always failed orienteering. I always, always dreaded orienteering. That was the time you, you know, say you're having period cramps and freak out your male gym teacher. I'm just curious if other people had to do this or if it's a Southern thing or what. I I don't know. I might be talking about a bunch of things nobody's talking about because this fitness exam might be, well, no, if it's the presidential fitness exam, that would make it national. There's not a president of Virginia. I mean, Virginia is not even a state. First of all, it is a commonwealth, which is uh, if civics could be douchey, c- calling your state a commonwealth instead of a state, is, is, it's up there. It's the, it's the frat star of the 50 states. Though so there's, I mean, a handful of other ones, too. And I'm sure there's like a good reason. And don't come at me. I don't really know. 
Um, but it's just kind of like a funny thing to correct when like, yeah, but it's also a state. Like generally speaking, like, you know, when you say city state, you're like, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. It doesn't, you know what I mean? So why, why are we hung up on semantics here? But anyway, guys, I um, guess that uh, 20 minutes in, I'm not going to be doing an icebreaker. I think the most criminal of all of them is definitely two truths and a lie, because theoretically, you should have, well, I'm a person that thinks you need to have a couple of fun facts locked and loaded, and you need to have a joke locked and loaded, because there's nothing worse than being put on the spot by people whose only impression of you is going to be from this one thing you're either called out for, or you have an opportunity to stand out with, and blowing your chances. Because if I'm not in the mood or if I don't have a specific thing to say, I can come across like pretty shy and boring and it like just no one will talk to me for the rest of the event. But the key with with icebreaker games, as it is with marketing or in general in life, is to have an element of a teaser where people have no choice but to come up and talk to you afterward. Example, I will often say I am missing part of my right ear while my hair is over my right ear. Are people going to come up to me and say, hey, can I see your deformed ear? No. Are they going to watch me closely and want to be around me? Should I sweep my bang over said ear? Absolutely. I, one of my fun facts is that my grandfather invented the ice maker. It's not about me, but it does sound very toaster strudely, a la Gretchen Wieners, and people generally want to talk to me after that, if not just thank me for their appreciation of ice. If anything, I think most people overthink Sonic, Arby's, who else is a great, great purveyor of ice shape? You, you know what I'm talking about? The pellets, the, um, the uh, if you just aerated your yard, that kind of ice, that is, that is the best ice in the business. But people don't often think about the, the great innovators who gave us that in the first place, who thought that having ice in the home would be a real game changer. And at the time, it was like really controversial. People were like, what on earth would people do with ice in their home? He worked for Frigidaire, and they were very convinced that this was like the wave of the future. And I also think it's interesting because it's so widely adapted and ubiquitous in the United States to have an ice maker in your home. But like in Europe, nothing comes with ice. And like every soda you order is so, so room temperature. And iced coffee like isn't really a thing. You can get like a Fredo or a Frappe or like a thing that's like chilled, but it's not cold. And I just think it's like, I don't know, I could talk about it forever. When, it, when you think of the role of the home ice maker and how it shaped a culture that is very dependent on ice, I think that's like a really interesting and pivotal thing, especially with ice not being as popularized in other places. Like it could have just been overlooked. So like those are fun facts. I'll, I, I think like a safe thing to do is like something interesting about like, like, well, okay. There's nothing that bores me more than when somebody tells me they love friends, family, food, and travel. Like, if you don't like one of those things, you're like a serial killer. So cool, but I need something else. So you need to think about a particular story or anecdote or something embedded within food, family, friends, travel that make you stand out and that make people want to come up and talk to you later. If you're already outgoing and you don't have this problem, ignore me entirely. My entire goal is to bring people to me. I very much like a pull strategy and not a push. Um, But the problem is, is so often this comes in the form of two truths and a lie, which I cannot stand. Because even if I have my two fun facts locked and loaded, the lie is often the hardest to come up with because the lie is something that could very easily 
be the thing people think is true about you. And you're almost saying it to be like, oh my God, there's no way this is true. Like if I was like, um, my grandpa invented the ice maker. I was born in California and I don't have a belly button. And everybody was like, oh, you weren't born in California. And I'd be like, wait, do you, <laughs> do you think I'm Kyle XY? Like, yes, I have a belly button. Like what? Why are you choosing to overlook the most obvious lie? But that always happens. And I always inadvertently offend myself because people don't guess the lie. So I don't know. It becomes it becomes a very tricky thing. And I think the hard part is there's there's no way to not look too boring or too braggy. Uh, Shy people will contribute vague statements, observations that reveal nothing about them. And it's boring and worse, it's difficult to guess. And it just, I don't know, totally makes the game stale. But then really uh, proud people or like just more outgoing people that think of something more specific they did, use it as an opportunity to brag about their accomplishments or like life experiences. Or like when you tell me about your recent elephant ride in Chiang Mai, I'm like, oh, cool. You love Southwest Asia. I have to go sometime. Great. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll get right to it when I have enough time, money, resources and time off. Like. That's a whole other thing is people being like, you should really travel. Hashtag wanderlust. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Will do. I'll get right on that. Not everybody has the luxury of travel. Not everybody has the luxury of childcare. Not everybody has the luxury of luxury, people. Let's just stop giving people very self-unaware and self-serving travel tips. Like, you have got to stay at the St. Regis when you go to Buenos Aires. The bathtub overlooks the entire city. And I'm just like, yeah, cool. That's $800. Like, do you have that kind of money to blow on a single night? Like, this is what I don't understand about luxury travel. Like, it's honestly all I want in life. All I want to be able to take my family, friends, loved ones, children. I, I want to just have great experiences together. That's what I prioritize. And I do love family, friends, food and travel, like very much. But I... Every time I even get close, even when I, you know, had two jobs and was and could afford a more luxury stay, I, I cannot justify three nights in a five-star hotel at over six hundred dollars a night because even that gets me the worst room. So I just I have a king bed and some a sink, and I pretend to be out of toiletries and I swipe them and I take them all home with me because they're probably made by like I don't know. Well. I want to say uh, Lactane because that's that's like the Obon Pain pronunciation of L'Occitane. L'Occitane. I, I feel like I remember it being like Lux, thinking it was confusing that it was actually more of an X sound. L'Occitane. I don't care. Lactane. Lactane on province. Um, it's it, that's that's a hard word to say, and and that is so up there with the. Uh, Oh, bon pain, uh, Ibiza of it all. Oh, no, Le Pain Quotidien is like the worst, but even that's a little more sing-songy than L'Occitane. What was I talking about? Um, oh, luxury hotels. Yeah, like nice toiletries, a nice foyer. What, what do you call it? What do you call a foyer in a hotel? A lobby. A lobby. <laughs> um, and like, you know, I don't know. I don't go to the gym. I'm not going to go to an indoor pool. Outdoor pools are very seasonal. I, I don't like, if, if I'm going to have a luxury experience, I don't want to go to a place where I can af- just afford the, the bare minimum point of entry and then not really enjoy it in full. An example would be when Greg and I went to Monaco. 
Uh, now I know even like I'm trying to be self-deprecating in the spirit of a European trip sounds ridiculous, but I'm not. I just mean I wanted to like see it. And Greg had just graduated from getting his MBA. My pa- we were meeting my parents on a trip and like uh, when this is when I had two jobs and for his like graduation gift, I got him a um, it was like an experience where he would drive a Ferrari on the Grand Prix, like the circuit of roads where the Formula One Grand Prix is driven. Um, and the speed limits are, ins- I mean, they're non-existent. It, it was look in retrospect. I'm like, man, I was a wild 20 something. As I said last week on name that tune, Celine Dion's it's all coming back to me. Music videos. Why I don't want him to ever ride a motorcycle. Uh, and I just feel like it's one thing to even be in the presence of high speeds in those cars, but to like put him behind the wheel of one when we like, don't even have a car here. Anyways, he did a great job. Um, I had the op- option of riding behind him where where I drove a luxury car, um, but I turned it down and said, I will ride in the passenger seat and I will not ride behind him because I'm not going to watch him. And I don't want him not having fun because he knows I'm watching him. You know what I mean? So then the guy takes me on like a delayed ride around Monaco and we're like going a bajillion miles an hour and I'm horrified. And I keep making passive aggressive comments about like, oh, it's interesting to think of uh, dying at this speed. Would you even feel it? And then he's like going around a curve. He's like, see this cliff we're going around? This is where Grace Kelly died. She flew off the cliff, but she actually died later in the hospital. And I'm just like, oh my God, like this is no, 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 no. Like the wildest I get is, is on the dragster at Cedar Point. Like I'm roller coaster fun. I'm not uh, like base jumping fun. Like this felt like, uh, a motor vehicle version of base jumping. But anyway, so that's why we went there. It, he like, it, he did, the, I don't know, whatever. He got his MBA part-time. He literally like worked and went to school for years and we were taking a trip. And um, so we went into Monaco for the day after that. And what was also funny is because I pulled up in this nice car and all people do is like sit outside Monaco and like hope that, somebody interesting shows up and I was wearing this dress from Target and like these people started surrounding the car and taking pictures of me and this guy in this Lamborghini and to this day I'm like I hope somebody like has this picture in an album of a nobody wearing a dress made by exhilaration that was probably Massimo but still like people are it's it's so sad when people will like post something on Facebook or in a group or something and be like, hey, who is this person? Everyone's talking to them on my flight. Are they famous? And they have a photo of them. I'm like, well, if you don't care or know who they are, like, what's the point? Um, but also what I learned is that the, the people that pull their cars up to the front of like the Monte Carlo are the people that don't have money and they're like rentals or they're in so much debt and they're like just trying to be flashy. It, the, the real people that gamble at the Monte Carlo or pulling in the back. They, they are not showy about their wealth because they don't need to be. Money talks wealth whispers people. Just an important life lesson. But anyway, ahem, Dorit and PK. Can't wait for our H-O-B-H coming soon. Um, I'm going to revisit my Housewives Matrix for it, so stay tuned for that. And uh, anyway, we went to Nobu in Monaco. <laughs> Because I'm like, well, Scott and Penelope Disick are always there. Like, I have to be at Nobu. And we sit on the water, and it's so beautiful. And we're looking at the yachts and all of the fabulous people. And thank God it's happy hour. And we realize that within our, like, daily budget, 
um, we can only afford to split one of the happy hour deals, which is um, a glass of champagne and like one tiny um, like canapé. It, had, it was like a, a crispy like rice cracker with like a tiny tuna tartar. And <laughs> thinking of us like splitting a flute of, of champagne and like me with a little knife and fork, like cutting in half, like one rice crisp and like a piece of tuna is like so um, awesomely hilarious and sad. And we laughed really hard about it. And still like that, it was just like a lesson for me of like, wait until you can really enjoy this because otherwise you just a people aren't treating you well that waiter's so annoyed of taking up one of his tables Uh, it's like i don't know i I just don't always like it's it's i want to see and experience stuff but it's not a vacation for me to like feel bad about my socioeconomic status not that anyone should or not that the monaco is the right way to live it's just like i want to experience things in their prime if if you're going to a, a tiny Italian town, you want to experience the, the hole in the wall restaurant. You want to be more of a local. You want to experience more of the grit. I'll stay in an Airbnb, a, a B&B apartment. Like, I don't want to go to an untraveled spot in the world and stay at a Sheraton. Similarly, if, if a place, if there's signature things to do tend to require more money, I want to have the money to do them and experience it while I'm there. But it kind of goes with the conundrum of... um you know, I always say I'm torn between managing my expectations and like manifesting my reality because those are conflicting thoughts. And I find that a lot of the same people that like vision board and believe in like affirmations and manifesting things are also the type of person that's like, don't jinx it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, you can't jinx things. If, if I'm saying it, that means I'm manifesting it. It's very confusing. Um, I also just find the general tiptoeing around the the population of people that believe in and are worried about jinxing things to be confusing because sometimes I want to be like, you can do it. You're going to do great. This is going to happen for you. And then they look at me with these like these piercing eyes, like how dare you just ruin my chances? You have jinxed it. Jinxing is real. Call the cops, put her away. Jean Valjean, 19 years, not enough. You jinxed my chances at having this team win this dumb sports game. Like, I'm just like, what? Sorry. I was trying to be encouraging. When you think about the, the like, general belief in jinxing, <laughs> it's kind of, like, shocking how many people take it so seriously and won't, like, say or think or do things in fear of the outcome not happening. But really, it's a self-fulfilling thing because the rare time things don't come out in your favor, you can blame it on the jinxing and not take, like, personal responsibility. So I don't know, in general, can we just like get rid of jinxing? It makes people feel better. We're trying to help you out or be encouraging. And conversely, it's not real. It's just not. And now you're going to be like, oh my God, you're jinxing the jinxing. Like, stop talking right now. You're about to perish. But like, I don't think I'm going to. I just knocked on wood. Oh my God. I am the problem and the solution. (laughs) Knocking on wood is fine. Jinxing is mean. Because of making another person feel bad. You can knock on your own wood all you want. And half the time you're not you're knocking on fiberboard. So I mean, not not even effective anyway. Oh man, oh man. Oh, I was saying it's like that those two opposing ideals because like every time we go on a trip, my parents are like, This is probably our last time and so and so. And I'm like, oh my God, stop saying that. Like, no, it's not. I'm not coming from a place of this is our last this, this is our last that. Like I, I can't live my life like this is the last time I'm going to do X or going to be somewhere. That's I'm too sentimental. That's too hard for me. Uh, vitamin C's graduation song starts playing in my head, 
Eve six years to the night. Like I can't and I won't. And I'm not going to believe that this won't happen again. Even if it won't, I just don't see the point of wallowing there. And I, every time I'm somewhere and I don't get to like do or see everything, I'm like, I don't want to go crazy going to every touristy thing in the world or feeling bad about not doing something. I want to come from a place of I'll be back. But realistically, will I? I don't know. Maybe not. But I think every time you leave someplace, if you think you're not going to be back, what kind of message is that sending? I, every time I go somewhere, I'm like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be bigger and better and more successful. And we're going to get two happy hour specials and be like, suck it, waiter. You know, it's it's challenging at times for me to go back and listen to what I record. And at the time, I'm like, oh, my gosh, coming in hot. Like, I I am so well-spoken. This is so astute. This is something that's going to be meaningful to so many people. And then I go back and listen, and I'm like, I'm going to get two of the happy hour specials. Suck it. And I'm like, you're, you know, trying to get advertisers to maybe, like, go easy on the 2002 insults where you're probably gesturing with your hands while you say it, but, like, other people can't see that. And so it's just, like, it's not cool. I'm going to work on my eloquence and general word uh, choices. I did say suck it twice in this episode. And for that, I'd like to apologize to our sponsor, who's far more sophisticated than I ever will be. But... (laughs) I was so excited to have another listener reach out about a sponsorship. This one for several reasons. One being that, and I don't mean this in a like, everybody's been asking me about my skincare routine way where like no one's really asking and you're doing like a Biosans promo. But really one of the questions I get the most is about IP, intellectual property, trademarks, copyrights, how to protect your work. And if you listen to this podcast, you know I've been absolutely plagued with copycats my entire career. It's incredibly de-energizing. It's been incredibly frustrating. And when I first started out, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And there are a lot of preventative measures I could have taken to make the process a lot less painful. So when I realized I have a listener that's an intellectual property attorney, her name's Caroline Fox. She owns a firm called CJ Fox Law. She's actually out of Richmond, Virginia, which is my hometown. Love that. But she can work with brands across the United States under federal law from tiny startups to multi-million dollar companies. But the best part is, is that CJ Fox Law focuses on trademarks and copyrights for creative focused brand centric small businesses and specifically works a lot with female run businesses. And when we were talking about this, Caroline said that she feels like female founders often get talked over and ignored by larger firm structures. And I was like, yes, that's a. A hundred percent. It's I didn't know if it was just me or if I was going crazy, but I could not find an approachable attorney to speak to from a pricing standpoint or from a general approachability standpoint, understanding kind of the experience that I'm in. And Caroline herself chose to give up job offers at big firms downtown to kind of live the same emotional roller coaster that we're all going through and owning our own business. So the best part is she really, really gets it. And to clarify, too, what specific areas I'm talking about when it comes to intellectual property, her practice focuses on trademarks. So think of brand names, logos, copyrights, all of the creative stuff that you work with within your business, like photos, designs, books, images, renderings, music. The thing you have to remember is that if it's not just protecting what you already have after the fact, it's also ensuring that there's a trademark clearance on the business name that you want on the logo design that you want. There, there are some studies that say that up to 80% of a business's value comes from IP. And that's why it's so wild to me how myself included, it's often treated as more of an afterthought and you got to look out for yourself. 
So please, please, please consult Caroline if you're starting a business, if you want to clear trademarks, if you want to register trademarks, if you just want to know a little bit more about how it all works, go to cjfoxlaw.com or follow her on Instagram at cjfoxlaw. And she has great flat fee projects and understands small businesses have finite funds and assured me that they priced everything so they can keep their doors open and their heat on without strangling people through their dollars, which I don't know about you. It's very hard for me to not say, but I'm feeling 22 after that. Speaking of which, that's another reason I really liked Caroline, because in her email to me, she closed by saying in the words of Taylor Swift in her 73 Questions Vogue video, get a good lawyer. And you know what? She's right. So once again, cjfoxlaw.com at cjfoxlaw. And I appreciate you guys listening because the way I'm kind of choosing who to work with is if I have experience in that area and I feel like we're all birds of a feather and a lot of you are small business owners. And it is honestly a question I get a lot, but it's also, I don't like, I can't even tell you how important it is to have somebody approachable to ask questions like that too. The thing is, even though I get asked these questions, I shouldn't be giving that advice. I don't want to give people bad advice. There's so much nuance to anything legal. And I just don't want to happen to you guys what happened and still happens to me, which is have people undercut your price, speed up your timeline and just rip you off like verbatim. My listings have been copied and pasted in other people's Etsy shops. Like it's so, so, so absurd. But anyway, it's kind of fun to do a legal ad. I feel like um, one of those people on TV that's like, if you or a loved one has been diagnosed with mesothelioma, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Is that mesothelioma? Moderate to severe chronic plaque psoriasis. Uh, that's not really it. But I see that commercial so much. Clearly, whatever I'm watching, whatever I'm doing, my consumer behavior lends itself to moderate to severe chronic plaque psoriasis because I, I, could, I could physically not be more aware of what that is and how I can treat it. Talk about wear out, people. Frequency is not always your friend. Anywho, moving on. Well, I don't know. See, I could talk about this forever because I just don't want any of you guys who are starting a business or who own a small business, I don't want... you to let anybody make you feel insignificant i don't want you to feel like just because you're starting or just because you're small that you're not part of a much broader contribution to the world and the first people that often make me feel that way are like third party uh, contractors with that have trades that i like i i'm not licensed to do i'll pretty much try to do anything myself that doesn't require a degree but like anybody financial accountants lawyers like these are the people that make you feel so small and make you be like, is this normal? When the irony is you're going to them for counsel. And I hate being like, like, it feels like you're at, you know, a car, what's it called? When you get your car fixed, a mechan- what's it called? I don't even see, I know so little about cars. I don't even know what you call it when you go get your car fixed, but I don't have a car. Anyways, it, it's, it's maddening. But the thing is, just because you're small now doesn't mean you always will be. And just because you're small doesn't mean you don't deserve to protect the creative properties that you and your business uniquely came up with that you need to protect. And it's very important that we remember that our work has value and that if your work is at risk of being copied or if somebody else can use it to ultimately profit off of, that you protect it as early as you possibly can or at least consult an intellectual property expert as early as you can. If I had done that, I would be a much richer woman. I'll just say that. (laughs) But anyway, now we'll officially move on. It just it gets me real worked up, guys. It really does. So that is about 35 minutes of tangents from icebreakers. Um, I guess the only one I didn't really mention is musical chairs, but 
that's more of just a, you know, my heart rate goes up to unsafe levels and I'm not willing to risk a hairline pelvic fracture while uh, childishly fighting for a chair and bumping butts with a strange man in middle management that I just met. Um, I just don't think that's really anything physical from human not to trust falls to musical chairs to like anything physical I just think is awkward and inappropriate in a workplace. And it's especially hard on like teens and tweens at like church retreats. I just, some people, like, I'm not a, like, some people are really good with like physical thing. Like, I don't know how to explain this. Like, I've always said that my friends that are dancers, if I have daughters, I want to encourage them to take dance just because I think it, it, you carry yourself a certain way. It affects your posture, the way you present yourself. You, just being used to being on a stage, I think, is good for your general like comfort level in a group, in a crowd, in whether public speaking or just kind of the way you carry yourself. And I think people are less body awkward when they've been a dancer. Like, I, I really think about like a lot what I'm supposed to be doing with my arms at a given time. Like, I really, I really do slump. I really do have body language that like an expert would probably say I'm trying to disappear. Um, and I will do like awkward fidgety things because I'm fidgety and I just, I don't know. I think that I would just have a more, a, a sense of calm and a better idea of my physical space and my movement if I had more stage slash dance experience. But I also am not like, you know, some people are like really into physical comedy, like, like, so like a laugh if somebody crashes through a table, like. I truly do not understand and on what planet it's funny when somebody like crashes through a table. Like I, I really don't like I, I'll watch, I'll watch like Epic fail YouTube vids. Sometimes I, I think it's a little bit funny when a kid like goes flying off a half pipe. Cause like, I don't know, you're on a half pipe, like not to diss anybody's hobbies, but my most sincere empathies don't necessarily go to anybody who's at a skate park. But I, I, I just, I don't know. There's, things and icebreakers that have to do with like physical comedy or using your body or like playing a twistery type game or whatever and like not everybody's like confident and comfortable with that type of movement and like with touching people and I just I think it's kind of like messed up to put people through that like put me through emotional distress but not physical don't make me do like a sport or activity don't make me have to touch other people's clammy hands or worse bump their butt the whole thing is very uncalled for and you know, just something to think about if you're a teacher, an HR, a youth pastor, I don't know, whoever's here. Just just think twice. If there's if there's one icebreaker game I do like, it is probably playing a game like Heads Up because, yes, I am good at it. And yes, I did get a call for Melon's people to play in the National Heads Up Championship. And yes, I did completely mess it up, as you've heard in a previous episode. But actually somebody who's good at that that's actually not the best situation because i come across very aggressive and um self-important when i play games especially pop culture games because i get frustrated when people are bad at them um and i probably like spit like you know i don't know my references are way too specific and so unless i'm playing with like a friend or a sister i'm actually not that good at it and then i get mad but anyway um i think a game where the subject is kind of like trivia based or about a third, like another topic. So the heat is off the individual. I know the point is getting to know you, but I think the best way to get to know somebody is to find common ground in something or someone else, because it takes the heat off the person trying to make themselves look impossibly clever 
and confident, but yet not too full of themselves, but, you know, neutral enough, but not boring. There's a lot of things you got to think about with first impressions. But in, in having a third party or a third common thing to kind of spoon feed companionship, you're left with a situation where people can just naturally get along and find common ground. So all of that to say, just something to think about. I know I get so nervous and I so want people to like me. And I often will just say or do something weird in those situations and replay it over in my head afterward. And I don't know, guys, it's, it's social anxiety, as they say, or, or it's, it's a, they're giant conspiracy theories about yourself where you go home and convince yourself that everybody's talking about you and that the entire day was designed just to like take you down as being a bad conversationalist. Like nobody cares. Nobody, everyone is way too narcissistic to overthink your interaction with them. They're just thinking about everything they said and did. So, you know, we all just got to go easy on ourselves. So I do think it would be funny to be like, okay, let's ask each other a series of questions. What's your mother's maiden name? What's the name of the street you grew up on? What's your first pet? What's your favorite pizza topping? And then basically just get everybody's information so you could like hack all of their passwords and like answer their security questions if you ever needed to, should the world ever come crumbling down or you be in a trying situation. That is something people need to remember is that if there are those games on the internet, like your street name and your, uh, or like your middle name and your street name is your porn star name. And everyone's like, oh my God, here's all my personal information. Posting on Facebook, a lot of times those are scams to get answers to your security questions. So just a heads, just something to think about. I'm trying to think of what else I should, we're at 40 minutes. Like I could just end here. I don't know, guys. Part of me is like, if you notice, I don't really talk about TV shows anymore because I feel like every show is a TV recap show and I'm not really adding value. I'd rather do like specialty episodes you can listen to or not listen to, but then it's a lot of pressure to like pack everything into one episode. Like I've tried to do a podcast version of my Housewives Matrix for a long time, but it's kind of visual. And like, I don't know how to create a video or YouTube video. Nobody goes on IGTV. I feel very at a loss for what the best thing to do is. But like, it's, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I did really enjoy last night's Vanderpump Rules in the Tom Tom opening. It is like they pay the designer $3 million to just watch Mad Max. But that's cool. I love steampunk chic. Um, I did cry a little bit, uh, but I am pretty convinced that the Toms have absolutely nothing to do with it. Like, I think they have a small percentage to use their likeness. They weren't involved in any of the actual building or operations. Somebody listens to this podcast, or maybe she just follows me on Instagram. I'm not sure if you're out there. Hello. Said that Tom Sandoval came in the other night for like eight minutes, made a few drinks, took a few pictures and left. And part of me thinks like, that's the deal. They don't have to do anything except one of them needs to show up for at least 10 minutes every night to like keep the people coming. Because really, I think LVP is less convinced with making like, you know, world-class restaurants and more convinced was just pandering to the reality TV fan crowd. Like I don't, the people I know actually live in LA are never at uh, Sir Pump, Villa Blanca or Tom Tom. However, if I ever find myself in LA, those will be my first four stops. So, you know, but then I don't know. See, lately people used to see the whole gang at Sir, but now they're just seeing like Max Vanderpump and like Peter and while I do like Peter, and I think he's, Peter is the Danny, Danny is to Southern Charm as Peter is to Vanderpump Rules. Like tertiary characters that are so neutral, they're a good friend, they're a confidant, they're in key scenes, people are often confiding in them, they don't really reveal too much about themselves, but they're always around and have a generally pleasant vibe and I'm sure get recognized a lot in public and get all the perks, but none of the downfalls. So kudos to Peter, kudos to Danny, can't wait for Southern Charm once again. Um, <laughs> I was looking through my OneNote and remember when Shep was in town and I had you guys like 
harassed him on Instagram on his comment feed about being in Chicago to come on my podcast. And I found an iPhone or a, a OneNote called Shep. And I'm like, what is this? And uh, <laughs> it's a list of questions I had for Shep Rose, starting with, have you been to a lot of Dave Matthews concerts? You look like someone who would be. Are you also kind of into fish and widespread panic? Honestly, you use a lot of figures of speech. I notice you use the word placate a lot. Why is that? Do you like SAT words? Are you often on thesaurus.com? Is Chelsea as effortly be- effortlessly beautiful as she seems? Do you really like Austin's beer, Trop Hop? Do you not think it was a missed opportunity for him to name it ostentatious? What do you think of Catherine? I have this theory called the crazy likable scale, where I think you can only be as crazy as you are likable, and the second you start to get more crazy than likable, you head into a place where you're Fate is ultimately not sealed on reality television. I think Catherine has finally become more likable than she is crazy. Would you agree with this? I really appreciate how you care for Catherine. While I'm not going to lie, I don't agree with uh, how the the show portrays you as seeing women as being somewhat disposable. I have no problem with general promiscuity, but I have a problem with, you know, potentially leading people on or using your fame as a ploy to, you know, get women to sleep with you. That said, I do feel like you seem like a nice guy. I've noticed you really care about and love your parents, and I love how you care for Catherine, and I think sometimes reality shows transcend, transcend the shtick and the characterization that they're trying to portray and show underlying character, and I do think you've had a few moments where it really seems like you're a good guy, and that's, you know, what I wanted you to know even though I asked these questions. Can you remind me of the uh, type of spaniel dog your family invented? Uh, I think I must have just been generally... generally curious about the invention of a dog breed. They're just like a bunch of spaniels chillaxing on their family farm that no one lives at. It was a little confusing. Um, I'm fascinated by the amount of people you say you hook up with in a given week. Oh, he said that on Watch What Happens Live, like right around this time. Based on sample size alone, I bet you've seen some stuff. Can you give us a few examples of some stuff you've seen with the people you've slept with? Like, what did I want to (laughs) know? I think I just wanted to know, like, you know, did anybody like ask to put a bag over your head? Did anybody, you know, have a weird like furry fetish? I don't know. I just uh, again on sample size alone, it's got Shep is the cross section of sexual preferences of, you know, females, I assume 18 to 49. So I'd just be interested in like what people are into on a massive scale that most people will never really achieve in their life to say this sexual behavior is statistically significant. You know, all of us probably haven't slept with enough people to to say anything beyond the purely anecdotal. Um, <laughs> so stupid. Um, oh, yeah. Do people incessantly contact you after they hook up with you? Like, I'm married, but even if we had a small conversation, I probably think we're in love and follow up with you constantly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not attracted to him at all. But, like, if we even hinted at that we could be friends, I would ride that wave so hard. can't imagine if actually hooking up with somebody who you were, like, a semi-fan of or semi-wanted to be in the group of. Do you really love literature? Do you still read a lot? You talk about the classics a lot. Can you tell me the first line of Moby Dick? Which is, of course, call me Ishmael. Can you tell me the line of Great Expectations? Which is, of course, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Not to be confused with Taylor Swift's getaway car. It was the best of times. It was the worst of crimes. Um, that wasn't on there. Just, just a thought. Um, then I have, this is like a mixture of my questions and my thoughts about Southern Charm. Um, Oh, I said, I'm from Virginia, and nobody talks about lineage with where I'm from. But season one, episode one of Southern Charm, it's a hilarious who's who of one's relation to a founding father or who got to America first. Is it really like that? Like when you and your buddies are talking about girls, are you like, oh, did you see that girl over there? She's Millard Fillmore's great, great, great step granddaughter. 
Or like, oh, did you see that hot bartender? She's a descendant of Grover Cleveland. <laughs> wow. Great insight, Kate. <laughs> okay. And then I wrote, I consider myself to be somewhat of an Illinois six. And I don't mean to brag, but I did spend 48 hours balls deep in Ancestry.com and my family got to Virginia in the 1600s. Would this make me a Charleston eight? <laughs> like, what? Oh, but then I kind of ruin it because I say, and then my family farmed for hundreds of years, held no political office, and don't own an island like Hilton Head, and didn't curate a special breed of span, although I did have a cocker spaniel named Daisy growing up. What is my ranking now? I guess I just want to know if my lineage, if like, if you got to America early, like, does that make you hot or interesting? I, I just remember Thomas Ravenel garbage being like, that's Catherine Calhoun Dennis, a descendant of John C. Calhoun, who was a vice president who sought to secure the institution of slavery. That's hot. And I'm like, ew, hey, if I was like linked to a founding father that was pro-slavery, wouldn't exactly tout that as being like a, a bragging point. It, I don't know. Whatever. I just uh, that first episode of Southern Charm just stuck out to me. as like, wow, these people really get off to a family tree. Like, relax. I, though I will say an Ancestry.com bitch is extremely fascinating, extremely worth the free trial. They do not sponsor this podcast. But they do, um, like, when you look up people in your family, it auto-populates your ancestors that other people have populated information from. And, like, you'll find connections that other people have, like, done all this work. I mean, it's, it's really, really, really interesting. But anyway, guys, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to do less long episodes so my podcast is more palatable to the first-time listener. I'm trying to grow here. And, you know, did I mean to talk about icebreakers the whole time? No. Did I mean to isolate any fans of swing music, dressage, shag dancing, or bring into noise, bring into funk? No, God, no. God bless. I respect your musical tastes, except for the cherry pop and daddies. I can't. It's just a, that's a gross name. Like, come on, don't be gross. All that to say, I, I know swing music's a very real thing, and I by no means mean like Duke Ellington, Benny Goodman, Louis Armstrong. Like, I know, obviously, that there's like, this is an important era, but I just mean the, the, um, the pop revival of swing music I have a problem with. But uh, to go on this theme, I think, you know, well, I could do a play on word, and I do love the savage song Hip Swing from Knocked Up that I, on one time on a podcast, discussed how I was listening to my college iPod. And that song came blaring through the speakers in a dead silent UPS store in a line of several people. And it was, one of the most confusing and funny and embarrassing situations that have happened in a long time because you just don't always expect somebody to be listening to Savage's hip swing. <laughs> um, but anyway, there's a there's a swing band that does covers of pop songs, and I feel like the most confusing one on my on my ears is um, it, it's a hybrid of it's a swing version of Technotronics' 1989 hit "Pump Up the Jam," and I love a jock jam as much as the next guy. There is nothing that gets me more excited to go to a, 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 a regional baseball farm team game than let's get ready to rumble. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like hearing the Tootsie Roll or It Takes Two or uh, Whoomp There It Is at, at a color guard competition. I, it's hard to pick my favorite jock jam, but you know this swing version definitely isn't it, but it's an interesting juxtaposition of styling. That I don't hate, I'll just say. And now that I'm talking about jock jams, like, all I want to do is 
play CNC Music Factory is going to make you sweat, parentheses, everybody dance now. But I know you guys will be hearing that at your uh, high school gymnasium near you any day now. So here's something a little different for the old eardrums. And uh, I hope you like it. I was trying to add value here, uh, illuminate something new for you all. And I am looking forward to hearing about your accounts of watching hours and hours of shag dancing videos and being so confused how people can just scuttle their little feet so fast. It's truly fascinating. That's a dancer. I'm pretty sure that was originated out of Charleston. So add that to the list of things to ask Shep. But anyway, guys, I'm going to hop off. Remember, if you want bonus episodes, last week I did a Polar Vortex Q&A. I answer really pressing questions, you know, what I thought about Andy's baby shower. I think I talked about how I feel about Lizzie McGuire, uh, the original creator of the Bitmoji, if you ask me. And um, I answer some personal questions. Uh, well, I, that's part two I haven't posted yet. And I, uh, I go through a whole lot of different things that people asked me at like 11 p.m. last Thursday when I was drinking wine for warmth. And uh, it was an all around, it was an all around good time. Oh, I talk about my, the reason I love pop culture so much, talk a lot about the real world, my influences as a kid. I don't know. It's, uh, I, I try to do bonus episodes about twice a month, but $1 supports the podcast and makes so, 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 so much of a difference to me, truly. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I could just jump, dive, and whale, truly, every time I get a new Patreon subscriber. It, it, it makes me feel like you believe in what I'm doing and that you co-sign what I'm doing and that you're not hate listening, which is what, you know, so many of us are doing half the time. Um, you know, unrelated to hate listening or hate following, um, did anybody catch Rachel Parcell, uh, her story about, um, the, her, her trim, her paint trim? <laughs> it's like the funniest thing. I watched it a hundred times. She was explaining how she structured all the paint on her website, like a blog post about like her trim versus wall color by like Sherburn Williams and A- she was announcing it as like, are there how many people bothering you about your paint colors? Like it's eggshell. I don't know. It's, it's a version of white. Like you'll be okay. And then she said she got one of the colors wrong and it was like a really dark charcoal gray. And she was like, I'm sorry to everybody who painted their door. This color that I said was this other lighter color, but you know, it's still cute. And I'm like, oh my God, girlfriend, I'd be so pissed if I was like, bought this really aggressive color, paid someone or spent forever painting a room and then told my husband like, no, oh, I promise it's going to be more of a chinchilla than a uh, Lincoln Park after dark. And then it's like black. I, I'd be so mad, but she was just describing like, well, the trim's at the top. And then the first room of the trim is at the bottom of below the trim. But then the, the second bullet point is an alternative trim color. If you aren't available for this trim color. And then the third bullet point is what we thought about painting the room, but we painted the room next to it. If you're familiar with the floor plan of our house, go to my story highlights. And I, I'm just like, what are you talking about? It was so confusing and so funny. And I love her and I'm not making fun of her. I just like, she cracks me up. She cracks me up. Um, Pink Peonies is her blog name, at Rachel Parcell. At Rachel Parcell, maybe? Uh, you should follow her. She's a favorite person of mine to follow. She is, like, so incredibly successful in the influencer world, and it's... I, I, I love watching it. It's just a, a fascinating proxy of an OG blogger who's really done the most with their career. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. No hate. All love. All observational humor. Anyway, guys, I should head out. Patreon.com slash be there in five. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And the episode notes, there's a link to the private Facebook group where we do some additional uh, gossiping. Also, please support our amazing, amazing sponsors that are allowing me to not quit podcasting. Caroline Fox at CJ Fox Law, CJFoxLaw.com. And last week's amazing sponsor, The Bathwell. You can find them at TheBathwell.com. Use code BeThereBeWell for 10% off your purchase. 
You have to get one of their travel kits for Valentine's Day. They have all cruelty-free, organic, safe-to-use products so your dog can lick you and you won't be anxious that your dog's eating some sort of chemically moderate to severe chronic plaque psoriasis medication. Just to, you know, really make this full circle. There is a link to buy my book, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. It would mean the world to me. I'm still trying to get it out there and uh, give it the life it deserves before it's old news. You know, it's topical. Got to strike while the iron's hot. So please consider buying the book. Link in show notes and uh, follow me at Be There in 5. Be There in 5 products on BeThereIn5.com or BeThereIn5.etsy.com. All of this is spelled out F-I-V-E, not the number 5. And I also am coming out with some new fun, silly products soon based on a segment I've done on Instagram. That, you know, just to infuse pop culture more into my brand and the products I sell. So stay tuned for that. And um, otherwise, I hope you have a great week. I hope everybody stays warm. I hope everyone remembers to, you know, take it easy on themselves. February is a tough month. It's a cold month. It's the shortest month. That's actually the longest month emotionally for me. But last last February, I was at a my lowest of low point. I didn't start my podcast till late February. I had an attempt to kind of dig myself out of a hole. And um, on a snow day, I took a chance and, and emailed another publisher, despite having been rejected many times for getting my poems or books published. And I was just like, I have nothing to lose. Let me just try this one more time and spent all day and really focused on them. that one poem, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, which I didn't really think had a life outside of like a silly YouTube video before. I thought it was the worst idea I had of all my books. And within 24 hours, I, I got a call. And within two weeks, I had a contract. So I just wanted to say that to remind people, not that it's easy, but that if you didn't listen to my How I Built This, I just always want to remind people, like, not everybody is some great thinker who has these amazing connections, who puts themselves out there, who meets people or who can afford to invest in things and can make their own future based on some sort of existing sum of money or network that allows them to propel themselves farther than us regular people. A lot of people just Google it. And like, I Googled how to write a book. I Googled how to get a publisher. I Googled how to get myself a publishing deal. And I just wrote stuff that I liked, knowing absolutely nothing, just being in my lonely office on my MacBook Air that barely works, that I have to leave a external hard drive on because I don't organize my files well enough to keep disk space. Like I'm a wreck of a human and I know nothing and I know nobody, but even I could have, I, I, I was able to tangibly produce something for myself that I wanted to do, but it's the result of tiny, tiny efforts and all like all of them won't work out, but one will. And then it eradicates any anxiety or feel feelings of a waste of time having done all of the previous stuff. So even in the dark times, even on the cold days, even in the slow times, keep taking chances, keep being bold, keep emailing, keep calling, keep doing whatever you need to do because the negative impact your efforts have on somebody else's day is so insignificant in comparison to the positive impact it could have on your greater life. And I have to remind myself that reaching out isn't annoying. An email isn't annoying. Being persistent, being aggressive, being too personal, like that can be annoying, but there's just putting yourself out there is never a bad thing. And even that's why I've been doing this podcast for a year. I'm just like, if if my ideas and efforts and thoughts and feelings toward things just live in this medium that people can access at any time, you never know who's listening. You never know who could find it. Like, I just think that life rewards people who put themselves out there. So just a friendly reminder to, to, to take a chance, make a change, and break away. <laughs> Ugh, I hate when I do that. Um, I always accidentally get myself halfway into a song lyric I have to finish when I don't even really want to finish it because I think that's Kelly Clarkson's worst song. 
except in the context of Mia Thermopolis breakthrough moment with Abigail Breslin wearing the crown on the you know parade in Genovia, obviously such a moving scene that I can hardly talk through without crying. But anyway, guys, uh, enjoy the swing version. This very confusing uh, uh, swing version of pump up the jam. Yep. Didn't think that was a sentence I'd be saying this week. And um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. But more importantly, I hope you enjoy your week. And I'm honored to have kept you company for even a small part of it. So as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Make my day. Technotronic. 1989, pump up the jam. Pump up the jam, pump it up while your feet are stumping. And the jam is pumping, look ahead, the crowd is jumping. Pump it up a little more, get the party going on the dance floor. See, cause that's where the party's at, you'll find out if you do that.